But we need to continue to pray for our nation and, and uh, as we're going to have a transition of a new leadership and um, keep looking to him. You know, I've already told some of you that, um, that now that President-elect Donald Trump has uh, been elected, that there's a, actually a prophecy in the Bible that says that the rapture of the church is going to happen. So... In the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. So, <laughs> I know some of you, my wife back there going, I've heard that about 10 times already. Let's pray. Father, um, we come and... Um, it's an exciting for a lot of us time of the year. Maybe for some of us it isn't. As we are just a couple weeks from Thanksgiving and then the Christmas season and a new year coming upon us. And so we have so much to be thankful for as Christians because Jesus came and died for our sins. And Lord, just as we're going to see on Sunday morning that Jesus says, when you pray, you pray thy kingdom come. And we know that your kingdom's going to come. The kingdoms of the world are going to go away. But Lord, you do use the nations and the kingdoms for your purposes and for your plans. And Lord, we have been blessed as a nation. But Lord, also, we get concerned. And Lord, even as we've had an election and it's over and all the weeks and months of hearing the candidates and the debates and all the stuff that went with it that caused confusion and, and all the other things, Lord, right now we need to come to you because we are going to move forward with a new leadership, with a new president, a new Congress, a new Senate, with our state, with new leadership. Lord, all those things that are taking place, And what my prayer is, is that as we move forward, that we would, as Christians, that we would be about moving forward on our knees and lifting up our nation to you, a nation that you have blessed, a nation that you have used mightily for good. And Lord, my my prayer is, is that as we've gotten, it seems like, so far away from you in in many ways, that there would be a returning to you. I pray for the church, that the church would continue to stand up, that we know that the greatest thing that we can do is be in prayer and stand for righteousness and for your word. That, Lord, that as the church is united together in one voice and one heart and one accord, That as we pray that you, Lord, that it would cause us to humble ourselves. And Lord, not to be prideful and boastful tonight. But we would be humbled because we need you. We need your direction. We need your guidance. And Lord, that we be a light to this nation. And I pray that there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that there be a returning to you because that's going to be the ultimate hope for us. Uh, coming together as we see a nation that's divided. There would be more than just coming together 
as a nation politically. But Lord, more than that, spiritually, that there be a great awakening. And I know that there is godly leadership that is there. And Lord, those who are godly in you and have a faith in you, that express it, that they would have influence in the leadership. They would have influence on our president. And Lord, that you would continue to minister and drawing them to you, that they would recognize that we need you, that we need to not just trust in, in our might and horses and chariots that David would write in, in the Psalms, but call in the name of the Lord. And there would be a humbling as a nation before you, turning back to you. And so, Father, we look forward to what's ahead, but Lord, we also know that we as a nation need to turn to you. So I pray that would happen with the leadership. That churches that stand up for the word of God would be a light in their communities and in their state and across this whole land. So Lord, we commit all these things to you. And Father, I thank you for what you're doing here in this church as I see the services filling up. And and Lord, we know that you will provide for us and you'll guide us in everything. And so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity again to be here to hear your word. May our hearts be ready to receive it. I pray that this holiday season, as we get ready to minister with Operation Christmas Child and food baskets, that we do it because we love you, Lord, and we want to share the good news with others. That we would be ones as we're going to be gathering with family and friends and co-workers with different gatherings for Thanksgiving and Christmas and in the new year, that, Lord, that we would be a light, that we would be afraid to share our faith, and, Lord, that we would give Jesus Christ and him crucified to others. And so, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight and just be able to go over this chapter, chapter 19 of Proverbs, touch us with your word, May the word burn in our hearts here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 19 of the book of Proverbs, as we continue in verse 1, that we read, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And so what we're being told here is that godly character and integrity are very valuable. It's to be valued and And even if you're poor, or you should be poor, that is materially, economically, whatever, that it's better that you walk in godly integrity, godly characters, what we are to live for and and by as we journey with the Lord. That's so valuable. Solomon's writing this, inspired by the Spirit of God, of course, and he's writing this as he's very wealthy. Of course, Solomon had wealth that was immeasurable, and, and he had golden sandals, and he's telling us here, it's better to be poor who walks in his integrity than he is perverse in the, with his lips and a fool. And as you walk in godly character, there may be those, and there probably will be those, who are going to come against you and, and try to, you know, uh, just uh, put you down, uh, try to come against you because you're a Christian. 
but you continue to walk in that character. Because you see, as I look at those men in the scriptures like Joseph, and I look at Joshua, and I look at Daniel, I look at Nehemiah, I look at Paul the Apostle. They were men that walked in godly integrity, even though there were those who came against them. There are those who came and tried to ruin their reputations, like Joseph, a young teenager in Egypt in the book of Genesis, and he's there, and God is blessing him, and Potiphar's wife makes advances towards him. And you know the story, how he said, how can I do this wickedness before my God? And he fled, and he ended up being in prison for years in the prime of his life. And then all of a sudden, God blessed him and used him to where he went from the prison to be prime minister. I think about... Joshua, who was one that uh, was in faith bringing the children of Israel across the Jordan River and brought victory. And he would stand at the end of his life and he would say, you guys need to make a choice. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I can't help but think about, you know, Nehemiah as he came back to rebuild the wall. And it was Nehemiah that as he was doing that, he, he was committed to the Lord. And he said, let's rise up and do this good work. And it was the Sanballats and the Tobias that came against Nehemiah and said, come down off the wall and let's talk about this, trying to distract him and and, and fool him and even do harm to him. And Nehemiah said, I'm not going to get off the wall. I'm going to continue to do the work of the Lord. He was just strong in the Lord and a great leader. I think about Daniel. Daniel, who, as we read about him, taken off into captivity, and he was used of the Lord in in Babylon. And then at the end of his life, when he's in his 80s, he's there and the the, uh, right-hand man of Darius, who was the king of the Medes and Persians that took over the Babylonians. And and there is Daniel, and a decree is made not to pray to any other god but Darius, as those other leaders were doing it to come against Daniel. Or if you do, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. And they knew where to find Daniel every day because he lived in godly character and integrity. And he was there at his window praying as he was facing towards Jerusalem that was in rubble. And they're underneath saying, yes, there's Daniel. We caught him. And they threw him in the lion's den, but God protected him. I want us to always remember this, that people may try to ruin your reputation, but only you can ruin your character. Will you always remember that? People will come against you because you're a Christian. As you stand for righteousness, as you're a light, as you, you know, speak Jesus Christ and him crucified, they might try to ruin your reputation, but only you can ruin your character. So may we be ones that we continue to walk in godly character and integrity. And then in verse 2, also it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. So to be one with godly character means you're going to grow in godly knowledge. And we can be, if we're not careful, in such a hurry where we want things right away because we do live in an instant world. And if we make haste decisions because we are impatient or, you know, we want something that so badly, we got to be careful because it can cause us to sin. Impatience leads to compromise and sin and making foolish decisions rather than making decisions based on the word of God. 
and what he has for us in our life and the Lord's direction and waiting on him. I think about Saul in 1 Samuel, the first king of Israel. And Saul was one, he started out well, but then he became very impatient. And he was supposed to go to battle. And Samuel, the prophet, said, you wait here, and I'll be here at a certain time, and, and we'll do the sacrifices before we go to battle. And, and Saul waited, and Samuel didn't show up. So Saul went ahead and did those unlawful sacrifices. He was the king. He wasn't supposed to do it. And all of a sudden, right after he does it, Samuel comes along and says, what are you doing, Saul? You're not supposed to do that. You're the king. I'm the priest. And you see, he got impatient and he did foolish things. And then right after that, he's making rash oaths and the focus became on him. We need to keep our focus on the Lord. And especially when we are in a situation where we can get impatient and we have a tendency to compromise or go in our understanding. Make sure that you keep your godly character continuing to look to God's word and his knowledge and his direction given to you and to me. In verse 3, the foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. A living in foolishness will fret in his heart against God. In other words, what's being spoken of here is the person who doesn't want to humble themselves before God. We've seen a lot in the book of Proverbs that's spoken about being prideful, being full of pride. And it's that pride that, that elevates self, that looks to self, that is self-centered. And the one who humbles himself before God, that they're the one that's going to be more sensitive to hearing from the Lord. But living in foolishness will fret in his heart against God. In other words, what's being said is don't blame God when repercussions of your foolishness happen. There will be repercussions of decisions that all of us make. And if we are walking in foolishness, that which is contrary to the way the Lord wants us to live, and we're not going to humble ourselves and, and live in obedience to the Lord, then don't blame God when repercussions, because it's a loving father that says, don't do that. Don't go that direction. Don't commit that sin, because it's going to hurt you. And don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, so shall he reap. That's a spiritual law for every single one of us. None of us are exempt from that. And if you reap of the flesh, of the flesh you reap corruption. If you sow of the flesh, if you, you know, sow of the spirit, uh, of the spirit you're going to reap to everlasting life. So we, we need to make sure that we are walking in the spirit, looking to the Lord. But repercussions will come in the, the decisions that uh, we make. And then in verse... For wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. We gravitate naturally towards the rich. And remember that God is the respecter of no persons. And then a false witness will not go unpunished. And he who speaks lies will not escape. So, you know, they may think that they're getting away with the lie. Um, they may get away with it for a little bit. They're not getting away with it before God. And the way that it works most times is that when you begin to lie, then you got to lie more to cover up the lie. And it begins to snowball on you. It's like a domino effect. And it's going to catch up with you just as the Bible tells us that your sin will find you out. So those who, who lie, a uh, false witness, we are to be not bearing false witness against anyone, the scripture says. And he who speaks lies 
will not escape at all. You're not getting away with it. And then in verse 6, many entreat to favor the nobility, and, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. And so you can buy friends, but once the gifts stop, they'll stop being your friend. You know, um, sometimes uh, friends, they can't give. You see, if you're only being a friend because they are given, and it's not just gifts. You know, here, I just got you a gift and giving you things all the time. Maybe they just are just, you know, ones that uh, are really helpful and encouraging and, you know, um, you know, in those ways, in a lot of different ways. What happens when they go through a trial? What happens when they go through difficulties? Are you just going to abandon them? Wow, you're going through this trial. You're, you're no fun anymore. You know, I can't benefit from you. See, we are to be ones that we are to minister to them. So sometimes friends can't give because of difficulties or because of loss or because of sorrow that they're feeling in their hearts. And we don't want to abandon them. And as we read in verse 7, all the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. Verse 7 You know who your friends are, your true friends are, when you become poor, and maybe poor in spirit. That brother who's going to be next to you, that sister who's going to pray for you and encourage you, and to call you and say, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do for you? And that's what I hope takes place here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. That as a fellowship of believers, that we would be marked for our love for one another more than anything else. That we would truly, that we would reach out in those who are poor in spirit, because I know that even this holiday season, that there's going to be people that we haven't met that are going to be coming here, that are going to be hurting, that are going to be wondering, that are going to be wrestling, and we want to be able to minister to them and reach out to them. Those who are poor in spirit, we don't want to abandon them. We want to be able to reach out to them in any way that we can, how the Lord allows us to do that. But let's continue in verse 8. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. So it's good for us to continue to walk in God's wisdom and keep pursuing it. And a false witness will not go unpunished. And he who speaks lies shall perish. And that's partly what we've already seen, um, that you won't get away with being a false witness and lying about others, um, that your sin will find you out. And then in verse 10, luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. So a fool doesn't know how to handle luxury or riches. And we see that, don't we? We see that in our society, that maybe the person who has fame, fortune, popularity, and they become very wealthy, maybe the entertaining, uh, the entertainer or the sports star. And, and we've seen them, that they've made millions and they squander it. And all of a sudden they're bankrupt, they're poor because they spent it all. They didn't know how to handle it because they lived a foolish life. So make sure that you don't just envy somebody because they have fame and they have riches and all of this. Because oftentimes, those riches end up going away. Those riches don't bring them happiness and true satisfaction and fulfillment in their life. And oftentimes, the reason that they live bizarre lifestyles and spend their money like, you know, very foolishly is because they're empty. They're empty. We've all heard the saying that money can't buy you happiness. And it can't. 
Oh, you may enjoy things. But for us to really, truly be blessed, oh, how happy is what that word means, is the one who is poor in spirit and allow the Lord to minister to you the riches of Christ. That's when you're truly wealthy. That's when you're truly satisfied and fulfilled in life. But then in verse 11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. So in other words, don't let anger dictate your life. You know, have discretion to overlook some things. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't condone or just sweep under the rug something that needs to be addressed. When there's sin, when there's problems, when there's, you know, something that needs to be addressed that is hurting people or whatever, that's not what it's saying. But there's some people who, who get angry so quickly. If you say one little thing and they just kind of blow up. It would be Paul the Apostle that said in Romans chapter 12, live peaceably with all men if possible. That's the qualifier. And there are some that because of their anger and they, they are quick to be uh, one that is angry about just little things. That they let it dictate their life. That they go through life having difficulty. So you and I were to put away anger, as Ephesians and Colossians says. Put away the old man. Put away that stuff, anger and wrath and bitterness and all of that. And put on gentleness and loving kindness is what we're to put on. Tenderheartedness. We're to put on the love of Christ. And, and there are times where, you know, somebody might say something that just, you know, I got the discretion and the discernment to just kind of overlook that. I'm not going to make, you know, a big contention, you know, contentious argument over it or just looking to pounce on you or whatever because I don't like you. So don't let anger dictate your life really is what verse 11 is saying here. And then verse 12, the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. So some in authority get mad at you and it can be very serious, but favor, you know, um, can be a help and, and a blessing that you get from the king. And then verse 13, a foolish son is the ruin of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. I just love teaching the word of God. So (laughs) contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Chinese water torture. So (laughs) and it's anyone who's contentious. It's not just picking on, you know, wives or women. It's anyone who's contentious. Again, being dictated, you know, by anger all the time, always wanting to, to argue and, and have strife and, and you know, just uh, always, you know, at contention with somebody and over things all the time. Some people, they live their life that way. And it ought not to be with you and me. And so what Proverbs is telling us is the one who lives that way. The one who is, you know, very contentious. It's like a continuous irritation is what it is. And perhaps you've known somebody in life that was that way. Why do you always got to be contentious? Why do you always got to be arguing? Why do you always got to be, you know, causing strife and division and all of this? It's just a continual irritation. And the Lord wouldn't have us to live that way at all. And then as we continue in um, verse 13... 
that a foolish son is the ruin of his father. And oh, I already did that. The contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. I don't have to say that again. And houses the riches are inheritance from the father, verse 14. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. And, you know, to have a wise and prudent wife is truly a blessing. And be thankful for that. Prudent means to be, you know, one who's careful, thoughtful. But it's for anyone. Moms and dads, for any of us, we want to be thankful, you know, or thoughtful. We want to be prudent so we can pass on a godly inheritance, don't we? To be able to pass that on is a tremendous blessing to our children, to our grandchildren, or or whoever you can pass that on to. And part of that means you're being thoughtful, you're being careful in how you minister and being wise in how you minister, and the results are going to be good as you do that. And then in verse 15, laziness casts one into a deep sleep and the idle person will suffer hunger. It, of course, we have seen that being lazy is not good. Uh, and it's kind of interesting here in verse 15 that laziness casts one into deep sleep. It, one who's lazy always seems to be tired. You're just tired all the time. One of the ways that, that you can be full of energy is be active. It's good to be active and stay active because it actually ends up energizing you. And an active person will have energy, um, you know, especially when they're excited about what it is that they're doing. And I love ministering, and that's why it seems like, you know, I have energy, you know, a lot of times because I love serving. I love teaching the Word of God. I love staying active. Uh, As you get older, it's one of the things that um, becomes a challenge for those who retire is to stay active. So to stay active, stay busy, continue as you can to serve the Lord and ministering in any way that you can and staying active in life is a good thing is what is being told to us. And then verse 16, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. And so um, if you ignore God's word, if you ignore God's way, it will begin to have an effect on you where you just begin to die spiritually. You just begin to die spiritually. Verse 17, that he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. You know, good investment in God's eyes is to give to those who have need. There are eternal rewards, just as we talked about with OCC. Getting a shoebox ready for some child on, in another country to give them the gospel and give them little gifts that God sees that in any way that you serve the Lord and given to others who are perhaps poor in spirit, that don't know the Lord, that the Lord sees that. And you remember that Paul in the book of Philippians, he's writing to that church from prison. And one of the reasons that he's writing to that church that was very special to him because the church of Philippi gave to Paul. They gave out of their poverty, we know from 2 Corinthians. They gave out of their persecution. Um, and they gave willingly and freely and cheerfully is what Paul says uh, that they would give. They were an example to the other churches that were in Greece. And at the end of that epistle, Paul writes that as he thanked them for the gift of support so he can continue to minister, that he says that the fruit that abounds from my ministry goes to your account. And there's a heavenly account. Now, there are those that I've heard that will begin to nitpick and say, there's no such thing in the Bible as a heavenly account. Well, read 
Philippians chapter 4, and that's the indication there. That it goes to your account. He's not talking about an earthly account. He's talking about a heavenly account. That the fruit that abounds as you give to this ministry or as you give to OCC or as you're giving to someone to help them and bless them, there's an eternal account that is in your name and my name. Just as Jesus said, don't store up your treasures here on earth where rust destroy and thieves break in and steal and all this. Uh, It goes away. But store up your treasures in heaven. There's heavenly rewards that are going to be given to you and to me because we have sent it ahead and are giving here to others, those who are poor, poor in spirit, as we minister and however the Lord desires for us to minister and gives us the ability to be able to do that. There's eternal rewards. And one of the things that you will find that as you're giving, that you can't outgive God. That's one of the things that we have found here at the church as we give, as we give the Word of God, as we do radios, we give CDs away and, and Bibles away, as we support ministries and ministers and, and missions and all of this. We are finding we can't outgive God. We can't outgive God. And He's so faithful, and I love to be able to give, and I want to continue to be able to do that because God's going to bless that and He's going to honor that. And you have the opportunity to be able to invest in the things of the Lord, the Word of God going out, the radio program, uh, missions, whatever it may be, that we can be a light and continue to do God's work. So the eternal rewards um, and invest in the Lord because, you know, as you give to the Lord, uh, you know, the investments and the profits are out of this world. There's no better investment, all right? And wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So the question tonight is, where's your treasure? Is your treasure in the things of the world? Then that's where your heart's going to be. I mean, truly. Or is your treasure in heaven? Looking forward to heaven, investing now to advance the kingdom of God, to, to be able to do the work of the Lord. And he allows you and me to partner with him to be able to do that. So eternal rewards for us who invest in, in him and uh, in those who need to be invested in uh, spiritually. And then as we continue in, in verse um, 16, 18, I knew that. Chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. And so verse 18, discipline and admonish children when they are young. And of course, we discipline them because we love them, right? Just as the Lord disciplines his children, as Hebrews tells us. He disciplines us, spiritual discipline given to you and to me towards us because of his love to you and to me. Doesn't want us to go the wrong direction or continue in carnality or sin. So he brings discipline to us just as we love our children and we discipline them because we want them to know Right, We want them to do well in life. And then in verse 19, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, he will do it again. You know, people who cannot control their temper, who are quick to fly off the handle, will continue to get in trouble constantly. So what happens when we struggle with anger? We need to give it to the Lord. We need to continually give it to the Lord because the fruit of the Spirit, again, is gentleness and kindness and tenderheartedness and love is what, and patience. That's all fruit of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit. But put off 
the works of the flesh, which is anger, wrath, malice, bitterness, those things. And so if you're dealing with anger, give it to the Lord day by day, bit by bit, over and over again. Because if you're one that cannot control your temper, there is all kinds of consequences that happen. There's all kinds of, of you know, relationships that end up being severed and strained, whether it's with a spouse or in your family or in the workplace or whoever may be linked to you in your life, in your neighborhood. And I have seen those who just continually, because they cannot control their temper and are quick to fly off the handle and just dealing with that, there's trouble that comes to them continually. Give it to the Lord and go to him and say, Lord, help me not to be angry. Lord, help me. Help me to take on the things of the Spirit, gentleness and kindness and long-suffering, tenderheartedness. I need your help in that, Lord. And then in verse 20, listen to counsel and receive instruction. You may be wise in your latter days. So I want to be a wise old man as I get older. You know, I don't want to be a foolish old man. I want to be a wise old man. So what's being told to us, continue to study God's Word. Don't put it aside. And I'm so blessed that... that some of you have been coming here for years and, and we're getting older and, and, you know, I should say mature, more mature is what we're getting. But continue to study the Word of God, whether you're young or whether you're older, because we can never exhaust the Word of God. One of the things that really, you know, bothers me is when somebody says, oh, I've read the Bible. I used to go to church. Yeah, I've read, you know, the John's Gospel, or I've read the book of Psalms. I know the Bible, and I think, really? Because I've been teaching the Bible for a few years now, and I think I can never exhaust this book, always continuing to study, to know God's Word, to grow in it, to make new applications, to be reminded of God's truth, to take the, the Word of God and, and, and have deeper understandings and uh, apply it even more in my life. I can never exhaust this Word. So I want to keep growing in God's Word. I don't, I don't want to stop or get lazy about it, continue in pressing forward in, in the things of God. In verse 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, uh, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. God's word will stand. He's the wonderful counselor. And it reminds me of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, wise is the one who hears these saying of mine and does them, is the one is likened to the one who builds their house upon a firm foundation. And when the storm comes, that house was what? Able to stand. It didn't fall apart. It didn't collapse. That's the one who hears these saying of mine and then does them. Is the one who's going to be able to stand in life. Because the Lord gives you strength and stability and there's safety in the word of God. And then what is desired in a man is kindness. And a poor man is better than a liar. Sometimes, you know, uh, mom can say, oh, you know, make sure that you marry, you know, to their daughter, a doctor or somebody who's very successful that has money. That shouldn't be the primary reason why we marry somebody. You want to marry somebody, ladies and guys, whose loving kindness is their character and honesty and has a godly character. So be looking for those Better that you marry somebody poor that has those characteristics that, 
you know, that is godly in the Lord. They're rich in the Lord and, and walk in godly characteristics and integrity. And then in, in, um, in verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. And he will not be visited with evil. In other words, that as you have relationship with Jesus, it just leads to life and avoids a lot of evil trouble that we can fall into. And in verse 24, a lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. That's pretty lazy, isn't it? <laughs> buries his hand in the bowl. and won't even bring it up to his mouth again. You know, we've talked about that it's more to you picture as a guy just sitting there and he's so lazy he won't even bring it up. But what about us spiritually? That the Bible can be right there in front of us. And we're so lazy spiritually, you won't even read it hardly or be attentive to it. You can come to church actually and be that lazy man, that lazy woman. It has that Bible right there. But I'm not going to pay attention because I'm too busy, you know, being distracted, daydream. I'm just here because my wife brought me here or my parents are making me come. I'm going to be on my phone the whole time, whatever it may be. Don't be lazy in that way. The word of God is in front of you. Take it in and be attentive and be sensitive to it. And then we continue in verse 25. Strike a scoffer and the simple will become weary. Rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. And so a wise person uh, will receive instruction and a scoffer won't. In verse 26, he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is the son who causes shame and bring reproach. And of course, the scripture says we're to honor mother and father. And cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. In verse 27, keep again growing in the Lord. Don't stop taking in the word of God. And a disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of a wicked devours iniquity. Verse 28, um, there are some that don't care about justice, and they will lie. And they will manipulate to get what it is that they want. In verse 29, judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the back of fools. In other words, if you continue in foolishness and being one that, you know, a fool returns to his folly, it's like you're taking a beating all the time. None of us want to take a beating, right? We don't want to take a beating in life. So there's a cure to that. Walk in God's wisdom. Oh, you may take a beating in another way, the world coming against you and stuff, but you will find yourself being strong. And I'd rather be living for the Lord, living in his wisdom and in his ways and, and have the strength and the comfort of the Lord than walking in the foolishness of the world that brings bondage in captivity, and it will just beat you up. It will beat you up. It's like strikes on the back. So walk with him and according to his word. Well, let's stop there and we'll pick it up here at chapter 20 next time. As Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. And I thank you that we can come and study it. And Lord, I just thank you for the word of God that again, as we go through this, uh, we can make deeper applications. We can Lord, ponder these things. And the theme tonight is we don't want to walk in foolishness. We don't want to walk in anger. We want to continue in the word of God and the things of God. We want to invest in 
the kingdom of God. And Lord, we know as we do that it pleases you. We want to be that brother and sister that that gives to others and is a true friend to those who are poor in spirit, those who are hurting. And Lord, I do pray that you help us to continue to grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather here. That we would not be lazy spiritually, but at home we'd have the word of God that is there, that Bible on our nightstand or in that shelf would be taken out and that we would feed upon the word of God, taking it in. That, Lord, that we would do it here. And I know that when it's Wednesday night or even Sunday morning, we can easily be distracted or we're tired. But, Lord, we don't want to pursue laziness. We want to be diligent, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, Father, I thank you that we can come here and we know that your word is true for us to be excited about serving you and being a light for you in the days in which we're living in. And so, Father, help us to do that. And, Lord, I do pray that we as a church would be giving, that we would give to this community, those who need to hear the gospel. And, Lord, even tonight as we proclaim the gospel, if you're here, maybe you're listening on live stream, maybe a CD's been handed to you, at another time, maybe on the web page, you're downloading a message, maybe on the radio even. And maybe you are poor spiritually because you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. That he is our salvation and he is the way to forgiveness of sin. He's the only one that died for you. That's what makes Christianity unique. Jesus made provision for forgiveness of sin. No one else ever did that. He alone went to the cross, the Son of God, and died for your sins. And he was put into a grave and he rose again. And he's alive. There's no body in the tomb. And as you come and put your faith in him, surrendering to him, that the Bible says you will be born again, that you'll become alive spiritually because our sin has made us dead spiritually. Oh, you're alive physically, but not spiritually. Life comes by faith in Jesus Christ and asking for forgiveness, realizing that you are a sinner that needs to be forgiven. He loves you so much. Will you give your life to Jesus if you've never done that? He loves you so much. That's why he went to the cross. He made provision. And he is Lord. He proved it by rising from the grave and conquering sin and death. Today is the day of salvation. And you can pray right where you are that Jesus, I come to you and I give you my life. Because the gospel is burning in my heart right now. And I know, Jesus, you're speaking to me and giving me an invitation. And I ask that you would forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again from the grave you're alive and I surrender to you as Lord and Savior I thank you for for saving me and I thank you for bringing me here to this moment help me to live for you and to know you all the days of my life in Jesus name and if you anyone prayed that prayer tonight I'm just going to hang out here afterwards as we're going to be dismissed in just a minute and Tell me the decision you made. I want to 
encourage you and make sure you got a Bible and give you some things that will bless you. But Lord, for all of us, I thank you that we're here. And again, we, we go out of this place desiring, Lord, to just walk in your ways and to know you more and to please you with our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.